With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is up, all of you beautiful people? And welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. I hope you didn't forget about us. My name is Rob Donaldson, and Bad and I today are actually bringing you guys a little something different. You know, it's March. In the same way football applies to the fall, college basketball applies to the month of March, and there's really just not a whole lot to talk about in the football realm right now. It's kind of that dead period, and in the sports world, March Madness for women's basketball and men's basketball is just kind of, you know, consuming the scene. Today we're going to be focusing on men's basketball and just that tournament because the bracket leaked before this podcast and we had some time to prepare for it. And to be honest, you know, Thad and I are really big Hawkeye basketball fans and college basketball fans just in general. Um, so it's hard to talk about anything else right now for us, really, anyways. So what we're going to do is basically just go through Iowa's matchup with Grand Canyon, um, the Antelopes, and also talk about, you know, how we're feeling about, you know, what what upsets are we kind of feeling this year? There's a there's a lot of interesting matchups across college basketball, and this is, a, this is a fun time. It's just a fun, exciting time this time of year, every single year, even if you're not like the most avid college basketball fan ever. So I guess I'll... You know, just ask Thad, you know, how's how's it been on this sort of hiatus that we've been on? Yeah, well, you know, like you said, all of a sudden, no football at all. So what do you got to do? You got to throw yourself into into college hoops. <laughs> and and luckily for us, you know, the last few weeks have been so exciting with the men's basketball team. And you have the Big Ten tournament um, and getting to watch them and, and the great games on the men's side in the Big Ten tournament. And then watching the Hawkeye women get to the big 10 title game as well. And, and watching that and they're so fun to watch as well. So as a basketball fan and especially an Iowa basketball fan, the last couple of weeks have been really exciting and just a lot of fun. Yeah. And I the bracket for Iowa just uh, for the women's basketball or NCAA tournament just launched too. Um, who, so I know that they're a five or six seed. I want to say six. Dang it. If I can find it real quick, I will. Hold on, I know this is terrible for air. Um, nope, it's not coming up for me. All right, wait. Yeah, okay, no, they're a five seed playing Central Michigan. So, okay, that scares me because <laughs> part of my philosophy, we're about to find out on upsets, 5-12 just is a terrible, like, just a terrible sounding matchup. You know what I mean? It's just the most popular pick, but... Anyway, we won't go too far down that rabbit hole, but that's probably going to be for a different podcast when we talk about Iowa women's. But for Iowa men's, they play the Grand Canyon Antelopes, I believe. Do you know what? It's Friday or Saturday? Saturday, uh, p.m. I want to say 6.30-ish, I think 630? is the scheduled tip. Okay. And then the the spread is sitting at, I think it was minus 15 or minus 14 and a half. I know that you said that you placed a little something on that. Um how you feeling about, you know, I guess I know how you're feeling about the Hawks and that one, but kind of elaborate on it. You know, why, what makes you feel so confident, especially covering a double digit spread in March, man? Are you crazy? I just really like, well, for one, I like this matchup, but really, I just like this Iowa team against anybody that doesn't see them all the time. And I think offensively with Iowa's motion and the way they're going to attack you, it's just really hard to defend. And if you watch what they did uh, non-conference in so many of those games and the competition wasn't always the highest at times but it's just such a hard offense to guard the way they can um, manipulate you with their screens or actions and then of course teams are just going to have to really focus on Luca Garza obviously and those teams that aren't don't have like a lottery NBA prospect at center you're just really picking your poison when guarding Iowa because do you try to go one-on-one against Garza? And if you do, he's going to beat you unless you have, you know, 
some amazing player there. And even if you do, he's typically going to get them in foul trouble and you might neutralize him a little bit, but you can't, you're not going to stop him. And he's going to find ways, whether he's on the block, whether he's pick and pop, you know, the way he's rebounded this year. So uh, teams without that and in Grand Canyon, they're definitely one of those type of teams that, yeah, their best or leading scores and rebounders are, they play a too big lineup, but they don't, aren't going to match the physicality, the way Garza can step out. And, and if you want to sink on him, he's going to, he's a 40% three point shooter. He's going to just pick and pop you. But beyond that, just trying to guard Iowa's perimeter. When you've got Bohannon, Frederick, Wieskamp, the way Keegan Murray's playing, you know, when McCaffrey's in there, the way he can, you know, move the ball. It's just a really hard offense to stop. And then you look over the last two weeks, what they've done defensively is so impressive, the way they've really turned it around. And, you know, credit goes a lot of places, but really you go to that second lineup and the way they defend has been so impressive. And and Coach McCaffrey's been moving some pieces around with that, you know, Joe Toussaint's got a little more playing time. They'll bring in Tony Perkins for certain stretches. You know, without Nunji, you can go smaller with Patrick McCaffrey and Keegan Murray as your post. But then all of a sudden, those two are great shot blockers as well. So maybe they're not going to defend the back-to-the-basket guy as well, but they're going to get steals and runouts. So it's just a really hard matchup because Iowa can play any way they want. You want to slow it down? Well, good luck trying to stop them in the half court. You want to speed it up? Great. They're excellent in those situations. And when you have an offense like that and you're not turning it over, you're just going to score points. Yeah, and, you know, pretty much banking on what you just said, I I do think that Iowa wins this probably by double digits, and I do think they probably covered that 15 number. Um, I have watched actually a lot of whack basketball this year, believe it or not just because they have had some decent teams in that conference this season. And I don't know. I like betting on college basketball. It's just kind of an interesting hobby that I've kind of developed over the years. And with Grand Canyon, they've really taken a lot of leaps um, as far as their personnel and the guys that they brought in this season. They, they, it actually was really well, like I publicized in that, in that area because they have this big fan base that just kind of goes under the national radar and, at home stadiums and home crowds when that was a thing, their home environment, they rarely ever lost in that floor. And a lot of people were wondering how that would carry over. But as far as the personnel goes, they brought on a lot of guys from overseas, uh, multiple guys from overseas. They brought in some grad transfers. They were really just trying to revamp this lineup and create sort of like this athletic, um, you know, we want to press you and create chaos kind of model. And that's what they they did to some of the teams in the WAC this year, which is interesting because you watched what Curbelo was able to do from Illinois um, against Iowa in the Big in the Big Ten tournament this past weekend, and just put pressure on Jabo and put pressure on the guards. Turnovers did happen, and I think that was a good learning experience to have heading into the tournament. That you know this can happen to you if you're not careful and you're not having good ball movement or setting good screens and effective screens. And really just watching your handles because Grand Canyon really has nothing to lose, right? This is like the whole mantra of March. And they're going to try to create these turnovers and these runouts and just do whatever they can to do it. You know, they're probably going to press in half court. They're probably going to swing a lot of motions. They're probably going to double Garza. I I will say, and this is obviously going to be the biggest mismatch with a lot of these mid-major kind of schools. They don't have a guy that can guard Garza one-on-one. And to be honest, Garza has faced double teams all year, and I don't think they have two guys that combine together really well to defend Garza no matter which side he decides to go on, even if and he can split them regardless or go over the top of them regardless. So it will be interesting to see how they defend them, but I think it's going to come down to just, you know, Iowa limiting turnovers and not getting caught up in, you know, that momentum swing, right? That, that The feeling of, Oh crap! Is it happening? You know what I mean. That's that's what I feel captures a lot of these Virginias against UMBC over the years and Georgetown, Florida Gulf Coast. When you when they feel like, oh man, you know we got to write the ship and it just doesn't write. You know, because at, at, to be honest, at half, 
I could see this being a single score game, you know, like or or like a single digit kind of game. Um, not necessarily a blowout right out of the gate if, you know, I was just trying to get their feet wet. But, you know, Iowa, this team is so special and they just have so much scoring talent. They're so deep. They're so long. I think that's what doesn't really get talked about. Keegan Murray, Patrick McCaffrey, um, Connor's long for a guard. Obviously, Luca, Joe Wieskamp. These are super long guys who can do a lot of different things that aren't just uh, cutting to the rim and, and, you know, playing good defense. These are guys who can step back and, you know, shoot it or at least pick and pop and shoot it. I I do think Iowa finds a rhythm in this game and go on some kind of crazy run like 20-0 or something like that. Yeah, when I went through their lineup, you know, it's going to be interesting to see defensively how they try to match up because they do play – they have two guys that are kind of li- – that are listed as centers that play 28 minutes a game. You know, a 7-foot, 270-pound guy – and a 6'10", 240-pound guy. So if they're going to play Iowa man-to-man, okay, you've got the size, quote-unquote size, to to kind of match up with Garza. But what are you going to do outside of that? You know, are you going to put a 6'10 kid on Connor McCaffrey? Because you don't want somebody like that trying to chase Wieskamp around, and obviously not Frederick or Bohannon. So does he sit in the paint and try to help? And how does Iowa counter that? You know, there's kind of two routes you can go. If you're going to sag off a guy, you can say, okay, shoot. Or, you know, Connor could go in and do, do his drive or get to the basket, kind of mid-range stuff, look for kickouts. But then if I all of a sudden counters and say, all right, we're going to put Keegan in there. We're going to put Patrick in there. And now, you know, you have to come out, especially on Keegan, you have to come out and defend him on the perimeter. And, oh, when Garza does need a rest and one of those guys or two of those guys are in, good luck keeping up with Keegan and Patrick in the in the full court. Like it's not going to happen. The best thing we see out of Patrick right now is his ability up and down the court. And with their length, Iowa can defend that. So they match up. Like you said, they're, they're really quick. They're leading minutes guys, point guard. Um, they're, you know, pretty slight at the guard position. You know, the guys listed at like five eleven, one fifty five, six two, one sixty five. Um, but obviously, like you've said, they're quick. They're going to try to get into you defensively. So I was just such a good screening team. And I just feel like over 40 minutes, you're going to get Garza. You're going to get McCaffrey. You're going to get Wieskamp screening and just pummeling these guys on on down screens, on pin downs and all this. That I think Iowa just wears them out and you end up getting open looks. And, you know, really you're going to get at least somebody hitting shots for the most part, other than that Wisconsin game that they somehow survived going two for 20. But I think that's also a testament to just how far this team has come because Iowa doesn't beat a team like Wisconsin going two for 20 in the middle of the season, in the beginning of the season or the last 10 years, like it just didn't happen. So for them to overcome something like that, I just feel as the game wears on, those guys are going to be getting hammered on screens all game. And I think it just wears them out. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that Iowa actually had legitimate, you know, like ways of testing themselves in a in a competitive like tournament environment for the first time in a while. Cause it just feels like Iowa basketball when they get to the Big Ten tournament are almost like a one and done or they, you know, they beat the the lesser, like super they're obviously like the favorable competition, you know, that they're supposed to beat, and then just get smoked against the team that they're actually could be they want to be competitive with. But they were competitive with Illinois. They were competitive with Wisconsin. They beat Wisconsin. It was cool to see them against, you know, sort of the top teams in the Big Ten and actually, like, putting up a fight and showing that they can hang with those kind of teams. Because I'll tell you, a lot of people are taking Illinois to win the national championship outright. So that's just kind of a testament. You know, a couple swings in that game, Iowa could win that. You know what I mean? And especially going back to the previous matchup, what was it, in February or January? Iowa could have won that with a couple swings as well. So I, I do think that's nice that Iowa is at least showing themselves that they're in that class and, you know, a few things go their way. Luca Garza, you know, does his thing and just kind of shows out and Bo Hannon steps up and Wieskamp steps up. This team could accomplish a lot, even with Gonzaga in their bracket. Um, I also will say this. Iowa fans are going to hate Grand Canyon at the end of this game. Their guards that you talked about, they are like the arrogant, cocky variety of very like expressive. 
So when they get called for a foul going in for a reach, they're going to laugh at the calls. They're going to jump up and down. They're going to say he's flopping. They're going to be talking trash. I guarantee they're, they're very hyper. Like I, I've watched a few of their games and they come out just blazing and they feed off energy. Uh, I don't know how many people are, how like the fans, how their impact is going to be, but you know, if there is somewhat of a capacity in there, I don't know if there is. Is there going to be? Well, I think I read it's about 20%. So I think uh, the place holds a little over 6,000. I think they were spe- expecting around 1,700 fans. I would imagine in a case like this, it's going to be mostly Iowa fans. I mean, you just think of fan bases, think of logistics. Um, so set roughly 1,700 fans for the game. You probably figure mostly Iowa fans, but... That said, I mean, you get in a small place, uh, you can get 1,700 fans to feel intense, and you can get games that are are chippy back and forth. And, you know, it's been a big conversation. How's the NCAA tournament going to be officiated? Is it going to be like a Big Ten game? Or is it going to be like a lot of the other conferences where there is a little more freedom of movement, especially off the ball? And, you know, when they're not as big, if they're going to be hit, getting hit on those screens, are they going to you know, let them try to grab, are they going to call any physical screens? So those are the things I'm going to be watching for. Um, But this Iowa team is just, I think regardless of that, they just play so cool and collected in all of those games. And outside of the Michigan game, you know, Gonzaga, they got down early and then it just kind of stayed steady from there on. But everything else they're in, as you mentioned, one or two swings, you know, two, three plays here or there are the difference. Um, and I just think this is a, a really exceptional exceptional Iowa team. Um, and what that means down the road, we'll see. But a game like this, I just think there's too many positives for what Iowa can do. I, You know, this is an exciting time. You know, I, this is just, you can feel it. it, it it's it's going to be this week. <laughs> That's so crazy to think about because last year it was taken away and it just kind of just fell flat. Like it just, the season flatlined at its peak. It was it was really it was a really weird kind of time and a really weird feeling to be left with, um, but let's talk about some upsets now. I, this is what everybody wants to talk about all the time with NCAA tournament. I'll let you start. Um, just give us you know three or four that you're liking and let's let's see what if we match them up. Yeah, I I was mentioned beforehand. I'm somebody that typically goes very chalk on these. Um, I know kind of the the general bids, but I, I just feel like so many times it's, well, these teams are playing well, what's going to happen. Uh, my first one uh, is going to have a little Hawkeye flavor. I'm picking 10 seed Virginia tech over seven seed Florida. Um, Cordell pencil grad transfer at VT this year. Uh, doesn't, hasn't been getting a ton of playing time lately, you know, five, 10 minutes a game. Uh, but I just like VT. I, I think there's something you watch those teams and they're kind of gritty in an environment like this. Like, I just feel like they can do something over this Florida team um, and make some noise. So that's my first one, uh, you know, right off the start. When I go to the second one, um, you know, I didn't have a great feel for this. And, and I don't think um, the team's playing really well. But I'm going another another 10 seed. I'm going Rutgers in the battle of teams that aren't going (laughs) to score um, with Clemson and Rutgers. And, you know, Rutgers just has not looked good at so many times this year, but at other times, like I love the way they play, you know, and if uh, Rod Harper Jr. gets hot and like, they just find the right thing and, and maybe getting in a tournament bubble like this, you know, maybe they become like the NBA, like Miami heat were last year where they weren't the best team, but they're just a bunch of dogs out there. You know, they're so gritty and maybe they turn it on. So uh, first team to 40 wins, uh, <laughs> you know, let's just do an Elam ending for that game starting at zero. So first team to 25, we're just going to start Elam ending That's fourth crazy. quarter style, go to 25, uh, call it good, move on to round two. And, you know, my last one that I'm going to go with, uh, don't know how much, um, of an upset, you know, in some people's mind, but I'm going a little big here. I'm going, um, I'm going wild. 
why not? Why not? I was I was going back and forth. I'm like, let's go. Let's go Ohio. Ohio over over Virginia. Love um, it. You know, you know, I really and I'm one. So let me first say, like, I love what Virginia does. Like, I was so bummed when they lost as the one seed. Um, you know, and people were calling out what they do offensively and how you can't play that way. And then they come back and get a title. You know, but but I just you know. Bobcats, why not? <laughs> I love it, dude. I, I you know, Virginia is always one of those, those susceptible teams, you know, and Ohio is peaking. After they came off that COVID break, I mean, they've been torching like good Mac teams, like really good Mac teams. I'm Toledo has rolled through the Mac this year and they made them look slight. You know what I mean? Like, how do you do that to the number one seed and a team that I think was like 26 and four at that point? Um, I love it, dude. And also that Rutgers Clemson game, what a crap fest. I mean, it, they're not going to be able to make a shot. They just, <laughs> I think like, like you said, first to 40, it, or just do it like a game of 21 and watch them fight each other. I, I would pay for that. Like just pay-per-view it. Um, you know, UFC was on this past weekend and there was eye pokes and whatnot. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll see that in Clemson Rutgers, you, you know, in, in a game like that, Look, this is why why gambling was legalized. Because if you want people to watch that game, like this is what it's for. That's that will get people to tune in. Oh yeah, especially because it's like it's. I think it's a pick 'em. Like they're just saying flip a coin. <laughs> These two teams are the exact same. So who knows? I mean, it could literally go either way. I mean, if a team's feeling hot, they they hit five three pointers and won the game. You know what I mean? <laughs> Went five of twenty one. Um, all right, so I'm gonna start off with my my biggest biggest um, upset prediction. So I'm going Moorhead State, 14 over three. West Virginia is a good team, but they've looked so susceptible sometimes at at, at certain points this year. And Oscar Shibway, who came into the year for them as sort of their big guy on campus, kind of. Um, he transferred away. I think he went to, he's transferring to Florida state next year. Um, McBride's a good player. Uh, Taz, uh, Taz Sherman's a good player has really stepped up, but against like a team like North Texas, a team that was like super defensive heavy West Virginia scoring output just wasn't there. And then against teams that can really push the pace like Oklahoma state, they, they got sort of housed at some points and they looked really flat. Like they just couldn't keep up. And with Moorhead State, they're not really a big offensive team, but they can really win like the ugly matchups. They they force a lot of turnovers. They have a lot of good guard play. They have some bigs that at least are physical inside. They're not going to be pushed over. And I don't think that West Virginia is the team that people sort of peg them as um, from years past. They're not like a super defensive heavy team this year. Um, they don't have a lot of physicality and size. They're kind of a team that likes to drive to the bucket and score, and that's how they win games. I think that makes you susceptible in March, sort of like a Virginia, um, sort of like a Clemson or Rutgers or whatever. I, I I do think that they are on the chopping block, and as a three seed, I feel like there has to be a 14 seed upset to sort of get the spirit of the tournament back alive again. So I'm going more head state. Um, I think that their spread is double digits. I I already took it. I, I can't remember what I took to be honest with you, but I, I'm all over the the Moorhead State team. Um, I just like them a lot. I, I watched them against Belmont again. Belmont. I don't know how they got denied at the NIT going 26 and four and going to the OBC championship, but um, Belmont's a good team and they they beat them by about 20. So I, I'm going with Moorhead State for my first one. And then the way I do it, I know. Thad and I talked about this beforehand um, and how he's more so chalk. I'm more so I target the 12 fives. I always pick two. I always have forced myself to pick two, even if my head's telling me, nah, dude, come on, like be smart about this. <laughs> but I'm and I, I when I pick the 12 fives and I, I'm kind of like torn, I, I look at the five seed and I'm like, which one is super volatile, right? That could just have one bad day and it just is it's bad enough that it takes them out. Creighton. Creighton is the one team that I look at and I'm like, this team is a three-point heavy shooting team. They miss a lot of free throws. 
which is weird. They miss a lot of free throws, and they don't have a crazy big guy. So I look in that that team, and they're also dealing with the controversy with the head coach in and out and all that stuff. And listen, UC Santa Barbara is a good team. Jacor McLaughlin, he's a senior. You know, they always talk. I feel like March Madness is always full, like those teams that pull the upset are always full of veterans, right? And UC Santa Barbara the past couple of years, well, last year they were looking like they could possibly win the Big West. Two years ago, they were looking like the favorites to win the Big West um, over Cal Irvine, and they got upset. And Jacory McLaughlin, those past three years, have has been the guy who's just been kind of leading the charge. Now he's a senior, and he's doing it again. This team can really shoot. They play good defense. They can get after you and get, um, go on fast breaks. I love... The Gauchos. Give me the Gauchos. And what a great name for March Madness. The Gauchos over the Blue Jays. Um, I could just see that, you know, on CBS, like them saying Gauchos are up by 20 points <laughs> on the route of the, the century or something hyperbo- hyperbolic, right? So I love the Gauchos. Then another 12-5 for me. So again, I look at the five seeds. I'm like, which one's most susceptible? And I look at Villanova, Colin Gillespie's out now for the entire season. And since he's gone out, they have looked real shaky. You know, they lost to Providence immediately following that game. Then in the, um, the Big East tournament, right away, they lost to Georgetown. Obviously, Georgetown went on to win the, the Big East tournament, but over the Creighton Blue Jays. So <laughs> there, there's that furthers my evidence. But um, no, I, and also Winthrop's also a really good team. Um, I watched Winthrop quite a bit this year. Also, uh, I do like the big South conference. It has quite a few teams that are actually pretty decent or at least, you know, watchable. Like some of these smaller conferences are like, like the SWAC like, and, and the MEAC and all these, like they're just horrible, but at least Winthrop is watchable and they have some guys who are actually athletic and their point guard Chandler Vodron is basically, a, um, a Connor McCaffrey ish kind of guy. And he's, you know, he's not the greatest three-point shooter, but he's an excellent passer in, inside. Uh, I would even say one of the best I've seen, he's doing behind the backs, you know, through the legs on a drive and transition. He's a guy that's really just exciting to watch, and this team has a lot of athletic big guys that he feeds, and they can do a lot of alley-oop stuff. They have guards that can shoot the three ball. Um, they have a 5'8 dude who actually gets a lot of playing time, and it's, um, and you know, you kind of underestimate those guys, but... March Madness, baby. I mean, that that guy on UMBC, the point guard for UMBC, was like five foot eleven or whatever, and he stole the show and stole the spotlight. So I, I think Winthrop can get it done too. And I'll, I'll throw in a bonus one. Um, whoever comes out of the playing game of Michigan State, UCLA, will beat BYU. BYU is not a six seed. I don't know who they beaten this year, other than maybe St. John's and Utah. I. It blows my mind. Getting a lot of credit for a good showing for, especially their half against Gonzaga. Like, I feel like that's yeah. holding a lot of water for them right now. Yeah, a lot of water because they're ahead of teams like Oregon. They're over, they're seated over Oregon. They're seated over UConn. I mean, how? What? What? Like, they're seated over Florida and Wisconsin and North Carolina and Oklahoma. Oklahoma, like. Where did that come from? I, 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 that was the weirdest seeding because I thought they were a bubble team that maybe will make the tournament and are being at least one of the playing games. And all of a sudden now they're sitting at a six seed really comfortably. I don't get it. Yeah. I'm so I, I need to take a moment to go back to, to that first 512 with Creighton uh, because you nailed once you started talking about this, I knew exactly where you were going with this. So a, a little background up. I live, I'm not that far from, from Creighton, from their campus, uh, with basketball stuff each year outside of this year with, with COVID stuff. Uh, I go over there and get to watch them practice a couple times. Um, have talked to their coaching staff on a variety of things. So i I follow Creighton pretty closely and you hit it right on the head. This is a team that, that many thought coming into the season, uh, was a top 10 team. And prior to some decisions of guys, uh, leaving early for the for the NBA draft, some people thought you know if a guy or one or two of those guys stay, 
maybe this is a, a top five, top three team nationally. And things just haven't fallen into place for that team. And, and you mentioned it's strange to watch a team that can shoot like that and do so many things really struggle from the line. I mean, Mitch Ballack is one of the best shooters in the country, 40% three-point shooter. And he finally got over 50% shooting from the line during the Big East tournament. Um, and it's just strange because you got such good guard play um, with their shooting, but they just really struggle at the line at times. And it's an interesting team because it, it reminds me, you know, not skill-wise quite the same, but they're built a lot like some of those uh, Villanova teams in the past where they've got a super heady point guard in Zigorowski, best best player on their team. And then all of a sudden it's like 6'5", 6'5", 6'5", and then they play a 6'7 post in, in Bishop, and who's athletic and can guard in the post. But he's kind of like maybe a little more physically advanced um, from a bulk-wise Keegan Murray, but that's who they're basically playing in the post. He's not quite as skilled on the perimeter, but that kind of body. Um, in the post and, and they will bring a seven foot freshman in um, that's a good shot blocker and can do some things but that's a team that you watch them in in one night they could they could win this a game by 20 and they could lose by by 10 and watching them in, in that Georgetown game was so disappointing in terms of somebody who thinks Creighton can be a really good team because they just got beat up like Georgetown just Georgetown took away what they want to do offensively and broke Creighton's will and you watch that game and then and Creighton gave up and that was so hard to watch a team like that and they just quit fighting for good shots and started jacking up terrible shots so you're right on the the head with this that is a super volatile team and if a team that easily could get upset you know if they're a not shooting well if b they're just having one of those nights where they don't look like Creighton um (laughs) and on the flip side all of a sudden they could go out and they could make a run in this thing because they do have some really good players and you know if they hit 15 threes in a game you know then they look like a different team but but that's a team you've nailed it they are super volatile and if they're playing a team all of a sudden that's going to get up in them and and get physical on things and and close out space and challenge them at the rim they're going to be in trouble yeah, dude. I-, I told myself no matter where Creighton is seated, it was about in the middle of the season when they were really struggling from the free throw line to beat teams like Marquette and Butler and just weird, you know, middle of the road, even bottom of the pack kind of teams. I told myself, I was like, I don't care if they're a three or, uh, a you know, a four seed or, or five seed, no matter what, I'm taking the other team. I'm going to find a reason to take the other team. And it just happened. It just so happens that I think UC Santa Barbara is actually a really good team, you know, to pull off an upset against, uh, um, you know, even if Creighton comes out swinging and they can make some shots early, I think UC Santa Barbara can at least hang around for a little bit and make them at least put pressure on them to make their free throws down the stretch. Because I'll tell you what, UC Santa Barbara, I think shoots around 81% as a free throw shooting team as a whole. Um, Ja'Cory McGoughlin is up around 91% as a free throw shooter. I believe 89 or 90 or something like that. And they're a team that I, I think down the stretch, it just, they can pull away and just cement the upset after a kind of a high scoring affair. So maybe even take the over. I don't even know what it's set at. Um, I'm kind of curious about that as well, but I think the over could play pretty well in that one. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, like you said, Creighton is so volatile. Night to night, they can beat a team by 20, or they can lose to Georgetown by 40 points. It, it really is like that kind of weird um, for this Creighton team this season, especially after last year when they were they kind of looked like a different team. They were playing great defense. They were pretty consistent on the offensive end, and it just kind of fell apart this year. Yeah, so I'm looking right now. Um, one site has Creighton as a 6.5-point favorite, but the – the total is at 139 right now. And I could, you know, you could see a game kind of depending on what you think. If you think Creighton gets hot, you could see it go over. If you just think it's going to be a score fest and, and Creighton's not going to do much to try to shut them down, then, you know, the 139 can look pretty good. Yeah, I'd, I'd take over, you know, teams both scoring over 70. You know, I, okay, you know, I'm hopping on that. So consider that my <laughs> the podcast certified bet of the day. <laughs> 
All right, let's continue to, I guess let's let's talk about the final four. You know that, that that's a pretty fun little matchup, right? Or like a fun thing to do. Um, who are you liking out of the uh, the West and East? You know that part of the bracket. Well, Gonzaga, you know, has really dominated all season, and I have a hard time picking against them the way they've looked. It's just hard to get much of a a gauge on Gonzaga over the last month and a half, two months, because their non-conference schedule was great and they looked fantastic. Uh, Iowa got to see them up close and and got maybe Jalen Suggs' best game of the season, um, even though Iowa did a really good job on their other guys. But it's just a team offensively, defensively, uh, that can play any way. They've got the guard play. They've got the shooting. They've got the experience. Gonzaga's looked like the number one team in the country for most of the year without any conversation. And I really don't see that changing. And, and I would not be able to pick against them thinking, uh, you know, they're not a pretty heavy favorite. You know, looking at the East, counter to that, um, I, I, I would have said Michigan up until, you know, we hear all of a sudden now that they've got an injury on the team. So so how does that look? You know, Juwan Howard going after the refs late in that Maryland game. And was that, you know, part of me wonders, like, was he trying to set his team off for something? Did he feel that something wasn't right with that team? Because when coaches do that, I can tell you, usually there's a reason. Like, if if Fran's trying to get a technical, if he's going off about something, usually, like, most of the time they're trying to get, they're trying to poke some button. And maybe they feel their team needs it. So I'm a little worried because to me that felt like, you know, afterwards he said he, he had his comments about why he did it and what he did. But I just feel like that's, that's a coach trying to push some button before the postseason. And, and that worries me a little bit. You know, uh, is he reaching for something? Um, but all season, I've just felt like that's the best. Obviously, Alabama is a really um, popular team and hot pick of the two seed. Nate Oates does a great job there. There's lots of stuff about what they do offensively and defensively. And He's a guy that I agree with a lot of his philosophies. They're a layups and three team on offense, and then a team that wants to grind you out on defense. You know, and his big thing is, you know, so many coaches we've been in this world where it's just like you can't do both. If you're going to be, you know, an offensive team and be total freedom on offense, you can't have that discipline on defense. And and he's totally no. Like we can still be super disciplined defensively and be this free-flowing offense of threes and layups. Uh, and he, they're kind of the hot pick. Um, as the two, I don't really love Texas as the three. I don't really trust them. You know, so when I'm going down the list, there's nobody, you know, that jumps out as, hey, this is the team that, that I love. So uh, I'm going to ride with Michigan, you know, and just say they've they've looked, you know, same thing. They've looked like the best team. Uh, the only team that was like, hey, maybe that team is is better than uh, than Gonzaga. And of course, when Iowa saw them, they looked like a team that could beat Gonzaga. Yeah, I'm right there with you with being confused about the East. I I look at that bracket and I'm just thinking, which team is like standing out? Because I, I, I feel like Alabama is so volatile or not least volatile, but they're susceptible to a good team down the road. Right. Like, I don't think they're going to get upset early. Well, actually, all right, so here's why I think it's interesting. UConn is very underseeded in this bracket at number seven. And say they get out of the first round and they beat uh, Maryland, then Alabama beats Iona. That's a second, that's a round of 32 matchup. I mean, that could, that's a coin flip for me, I think. I think UConn could win that game. Um, I really do. I, I, they're just so athletic. Especially because you know their worst worst stretch of the season that people point to, they were without Book Knight. James Book Knight was out, so I don't even count that as that was that was their identity of their team before he went out. So I I can't look at that stretch and even give it you know validation. Um, so out of that East, I'll just start with that. I guess I've always been I've been questioning Michigan a lot this year, and I kind of regretted it because. You know they they definitely showed it down the stretch that they were a good team, but seeing livers go out livers go out really hurts that team I think, um, especially because second round they're gonna have to either play LSU or St Bonaventure. Both teams are really good. Um, other than that though, 
you know, 5C Colorado doesn't really strike me as a, a team that's going to make a super deep run. I think that they could pull off an upset or two. Um, like uh, upset or against a Florida State or if that happens or something like that. But the play-in game, 11, Michigan State, UCLA, I Texas, again, I don't trust them like you said. I'm going to go UConn out of the East. That's going to take, I'm going to take my shot. I think it's just such an up in the air bracket that anything can happen. I'm going to say something does happen in that one. That's the weirdest one. Um, in the West, I'm going to go very chalk. I'm going to go Gonzaga. And um, I do think that Iowa, if they get to that point, would lose to Gonzaga on a neutral court again. Um, but again, Iowa has a tough second round matchup with whoever comes out of that game. I think Oregon's very under seeded. And I think VCU is very chaotic um, and they can make a lot of good shots. So um, I, I do think that Iowa probably gets out of the round of 32, but it's not going to be easy. They they kind of drew a tough little draw right there. Um, but I think Gonzaga does find a way to get to the final four just because they're so good. And I'm going to take UConn. So Gonzaga, UConn, final four for that side of the bracket. Um, so I guess as we look over to the South and Midwest, you know, who, who are you liking out of those two? So this is where, where things, you know, all of a sudden it's like go back and forth. So, uh, coming into this season, I'm going to start with the Midwest, uh, coming into the season before any games were played, Illinois was my pick to win the national title. I just, uh, thought what they had coming back, what they were bringing in. Um, Underwood is a guy that, that, Long term, I'm interested to see what he does because that guy coaches hard, and you know he's going to obviously fill them with a lot of that roster with a lot of talent. But it would be really hard to play three or four years for Brad Underwood, and I respect him as a coach like crazy. I've attended two of his practices um, when he was down at Oklahoma State, and that dude coaches hard. Um, they they've got a treadmill set up to the side, and you make a mistake you go to that treadmill and it's cranked on full speed and you have to sprint. And then it's like 17 and a half miles an hour and you got to sprint and then you got to get back in the drill and guess what? You're tired. So you're probably going to screw up again. And then you have to go back to that treadmill and it is not a fun experience for those guys. And that's the type of coach he is. So, you know, he might be served fine if he's bringing in one or two and done guys, because you can handle two years of them. But I'm interested to see long-term, how does a coach like that, you know, survive in a situation like that because I think he is a great coach but that dude coaches hard um, and you got to have a certain attitude if you're going to play for Brad Underwood uh all that said I love that team uh you know and it's again I, I look at I look up and down it's like well who do I think can knock them off you know one team I kind of feel bad for uh the number six seed San Diego State. I thought last year the way their roster was heading into the tournament, that was a team I thought could make a final four run. Um, I just love the way their roster was put together. They had some uh transfers come in to give them some depth. They had some size. Uh Iowa actually saw them early in the year, but I followed them for much of that year, and I thought that was a team that could maybe be a final four team last year and missed out on that chance. And um they're a nice team this year, but they're not the same level. Um, so I, like my heart says, I want to pick them just so they get that chance. But Illinois, like I, I, I look up that roster and you know, what type of team matches up against them. And, you know, you look at some of the better seeds, Tennessee is really athletic. Um, just not a team to me that I think can, can beat them. Same thing. You look at somebody like Okie state, you know, where Brad Underwood used to coach and where, you know, there's some, uh, uh, assistant coach or two that had to take the blame and on some recruiting violations. Uh, so I think, he, you know, obviously they're talented. They've got Cade Cunningham, but I just think they match up. You know, you see Illinois, I just think they're better. And at the bottom, you know, Houston's a team that has just routed so many people. So I'm really hoping we see a one, two there and get to see Illinois Houston, because that is going to be full of, high impact plays. Um, and I could see, I, I want to take Houston just because I don't want to root for Illinois on anything. Um, but, but I said earlier, I'm super shocked. <laughs> like Illinois I, going into the season, I thought they were the best team in the country. I changed my mind partway through the season, but they're playing like that right now. 
And so now going to the south, uh, this is the one where if I'm going to get a little bit interesting, it might be in this. Uh, you know, does a team like a Purdue who didn't look great early on, but just kind of finding their stride and, and Matt Painter has a way and, and they can match up with you so many ways. Like I'm really hoping to see a matchup with Baylor and, and Purdue because their size, like Baylor, you know, is going to play, be really long. And in the way that uh, Purdue can counter with size and just like, they're so tough. Um, so this is the one I'm I'm gonna go a little bit of an upset. I think Purdue knocks off Baylor, and and on the bottom end, um, I really like Arkansas. I I really like Arkansas and Texas Tech on the bottom side of that, and they have to match up in the round of 32 if they both win. And Arkansas to me is, and I know they're kind of a, a hot pick right now for a lot of people, but I think whoever wins that Arkansas and Texas Tech game, that's who I see. Uh, coming out of the bottom side. Um, Ohio State's just been up and down for me. I, I just not sold on them. Um, they could they could obviously knock off those teams. They're really good. But I, I just don't, when I watch them, I don't see an NCAA tournament dominant team, um, just the way they kind of play and the way their roster is constructed right now. I agree with that. Um, the South, yeah, it's kind of funny. When you brought up Purdue, I was like, oh, you know, that I think we're thinking along similar paths because I do envision a Ohio State um, Baylor or not Baylor, Ohio State Purdue matchup um, in the Elite Eight. Uh, I think that's very plausible, plausible. And is that a revenge spot for Purdue or the way my betting mind thinks, you know, because it just happened in overtime um, and Purdue, like you said, I like teams that are finding their stride late. You know, Arkansas is one of those teams, too. Like, they've been on a roll as of late. I think they won their last, well, before their, their most recent loss. I think they were on, like, a 10 or 11-game SEC win streak. And I love those kinds of teams. Um, so, out of the South bracket, I actually do have um, Purdue in the Final Four. Um, I think that they have the capability of beating Ohio State and Baylor in back-to-back, you know, games, which is a tough ask. But getting over that Baylor hump is going to be difficult for whoever gets it. But there's been times this year where Baylor's kind of looked a little bit, you know, like the words of scorn, man. Like, can you like put up some points? Um, and maybe it's just past tournaments that's kind of weighing in my mind too. Just that image of you know Baylor against Georgia State or Baylor against Yale, or um, some of these other upsets that Baylor's been a part of. I I don't know, but uh, I do think that Purdue has enough youth and you know excitement and exuberance with a little bit of like just veteran guys down low that they can get it done. And, you know, maybe surprise some folks, and a 4C going to the Final Four isn't crazy. So I don't want to hear it. But, any, <laughs> but anyway, in the Midwest, this is where I, man... I really wish Loyola Chicago would have drew a better seating and same with Georgia tech. I think that both teams kind of drew the, the unfortunate end of the draw because I think Illinois is one of the better one seeds in the country. I think the number two team in the country and they have to play them second round. And Loyola is a team that only won lost one game the entire year, just trounce teams like good teams. The, the Missouri Valley conference, I think as a whole, just gets really underrated. They had some really good teams this year with like Missouri state and Drake and um, who else is in that conference? I'm blanking on a few of them. I think right now. Um, anyway, I I'm trying to think cause it was a good conference this year. There was a lot of fun games every single night. Yeah. That the top three were, you know, that you mentioned Loyola Drake and Missouri state were, were good teams this year. Um, and side note, Drake, I fully expect Drake to win that play-in game. I just, <laughs> I love the way they're playing. Um, I, that's that's one that's on my lock list as far as, um, I just feel really good about that one, the way the matchup is and the way Drake is playing. And, and you know, they're probably going to get, you know, one of their best players back for this game all of a sudden. And uh, they, while, while the bottom of the Missouri Valley was down a little bit this year, the top was really good. And as you said, Loyola Chicago drew a tough, tough draw there because that's a team that, you know, just not too long ago, we saw make a magical run 
and they've got the talent um, and they've got the playmakers to do something like that again. That's a really good team. Yeah, and it's, what's weird is, you know, Georgia Tech just beat Florida State pretty convincingly. Um, they're a, what is it, a nine seed after winning the ACC tournament? That used to mean something, by the way. Um, they beat Florida State, and Florida State's a four seed. How? I mean, and Georgia Tech was a good team coming in the tournament. It's not like it's an Oregon State situation where, you know, they legitimately stole a bid. They were in the tournament probably no matter what um, to some capacity, or at least I think so, but maybe not. I mean, they're only a nine seed after winning the whole thing. Um, anyway, I, yeah, it's unfortunate that those two teams have to face each other right away. It's going to be a good game. I mean, that's at least what we got going for us. Um, in the second round with Illinois, it's going to be interesting for Loyola because their best player, Cameron Crutwig, is sort of like a Luka Garza type where he you know gets a lot of boards. He's a finesse player down low who can kind of step out to the elbow, but he can't shoot threes. Um, he also is struggles from the free throw line at times. So I think that Illinois will be able to neutralize him with Kofi and it'll become coming down to the Loyola guard play, which... Curbelo looked like a handful and Io is obviously a handful and Trent Frazier is a handful. So I think that's just too overwhelming route and you know, for any team in the country, let alone, you know, a mid major right off the bat. So unfortunately I, I would love to have Loyola make another crazy run, but I don't think it's going to be this year. I think they could even get bounced in the first round if I'm being honest, um, because they, Georgia tech has a big of their own that can neutralize them. But out of that Midwest, I love Illinois. I think that they're probably the best team in the country right now, the way they're playing. Um, Houston, man, they've been trouncing teams too. Like, they would set 18-point spreads and they would win by 30. I, <laughs> this team was just doing whatever they wanted the teams. I mean, Cincinnati was rolling through the American tournament, and it was looking like they could potentially steal a bid. And Houston was like, no, nah, we're going to drop you know 93 on you and let me eat a 60 points. So I think that just kind of speaks to how good they are. This is a, one of the better Houston teams, and there's been a lot of good ones recently. I think Illinois Houston is going to be a fun game. But like I said, Illinois is just too good. Um, and I think that they win the Midwest. So I have Purdue and Illinois um, going into the final four, two big 10 teams, which is not biased, by the way. I don't think anyway, I don't know. I watch these teams a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and one thing, you know, I, I want to mention, Big Ten aside and just in general, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about college basketball and, and the state of college basketball with one and done and guys going uh, G League and overseas and stuff. But the play in NCAA basketball this year has been really good. I mean, you look at those one seeds, those are dominant one seeds. Those are teams that are spectacular teams. You know, this isn't a field where it's like, well, these ones, like you just had to pick who's going to be the next one. Like there are one and twos that are exceptional teams. And, you know, somebody like Iowa can be anybody, you know, and they're on a two spot matched up with in that Gonzaga bracket. So Gonzaga who, yeah, beat them once, but they're sitting there looking, you know, at their chance for a final four. And if they've got to play Iowa, that's an, a really, really good team. And not sometimes you get some of those two seeds that are like, yeah, they're, they're in it, but they've got a lot of holes and you just don't see that within this tournament. I'm, I just think college basketball has made such a comeback this year. And, you know, maybe it was some of these guys coming back that might not have in a normal season. I mean, you look at Illinois, like I never would have expected Io or, or Coburn to come back this year. And all of a sudden they're back and it's like, well, that's a team that can win a title. And, you know, some of these teams had that. So I just think college basketball is full of really good teams this year. And you don't need the Dukes and the North Carolinas or Syracuse or some of those big names to be great to have a really good college basketball season. And that's what's been fun um, to watch that. And so I'm just going to go back one thing real quick. I talked earlier about uh, Alabama and they're kind of a hot pick and I, and I like them, but I'm going back through them. They've won, I think six or seven in a row, but here's their last games against ranked teams. So the last time they played a ranked team was Arkansas. Uh, I got to look at back when this was, 
Uh, but it's been seven, eight games ago, and they lost by 15 to Arkansas. And then, you know, they won between then they won four straight games. And then it's the next time they played a ranked team, Missouri, they lost. And then uh, they won a game next time they played a ranked team, uh, Oklahoma, they lost. Next time they played a ranked team was Tennessee earlier in the season when they were ranked seventh. They won that game. But I went through their their whole schedule. They've won one game all season against a team that was ranked at that time. And it's a team that a lot of people like, and I like the style. But it worries me when the one t- the only win you have against a ranked team is that far away. And like you're not playing these highly ranked teams all the time like you are in the Big Ten. Like Iowa has some losses to some I, I would say outside, you know, Iowa's got a bad kind of late collapse against Minnesota. They've got two losses they'd really like to have back against Indiana. But all their recent losses are teams that you could say, yeah, that team could make the Final Four, you know, as of recent. And you look at somebody like Alabama, who's a two seed, and they have one win against a team that's that was ranked in the top 25 at the moment or at that time. And that's just crazy to me. I agree. And, you know, Alabama, I think, is really good. And they have good defense that actually is, gets overlooked because they're so, you know, hot from outside in the perimeter. And they have a guy down low and Herb Jones who can kind of do what he wants. But they're almost a little bit too perimeter heavy and a little bit too wild at times. I think Javon Quinterly is actually the best player on that team, even though Herb Jones gets all this National Player of the Year hype. Um, or not National Player of the Year, but SEC Player of the Year in conference, you know, things like that. He's definitely up there as far as college basketball is concerned. Um, But Herb Jones, it's weird watching him play on offense because he tries to step out and be the ball handler around the perimeter a lot. And you saw it against, I believe it was LSU or no, no, it was against Tennessee. He was getting pickpocketed a lot and Tennessee does not have good guard play. Um, Tennessee is a team without really any guard play. And they were pickpocketing him because he was just kind of dribbling it, you know, kind of freely. And I think teams like that, they kind of get a little bit careless and are, you know, turnover prone. And those are turnovers are going to kill you in a one game series kind of thing. Yeah. You know, you talk about turnovers. That's one place I'm going to loop back why I think this Iowa team has a chance to make such a run because they don't turn the ball over frequently. And, you know, we saw some uncharacteristic ones that Illinois was able to force, but it's why kind of looping back that I think Iowa has such a, such a higher chance to, you know, take care of a team, you know, in these first couple rounds that, yeah, they're going to be athletic teams that want to pressure you first round, second round, if it's Oregon or VCU, two really athletic teams, but it's not a team that loses the ball to, to teams like that. Um, and, in the postseason play, you've got to limit turnovers because every time you turn it over, I mean, it's cliche. Every time you turn it over, you don't get a chance to score. And that in these games, you know, these tournament games are about who can put the ball in the bucket. You know, you got to make plays. You got to make individual plays. You got to make team plays and you got to go on a run. You mentioned earlier, I could see a team going on a 20 0 run. Well, if you're turning the ball over, um, that's how you get runs against you. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's. I guess let's. I guess we just talked about our final four matchups. Um, let's talk about. I guess who makes it and who wins. Um, if you want, I can start. Um, okay. So in my Gonzaga UConn matchup, I'm gonna obviously have Gonzaga winning that one. Um, I do think it could be a good game. I really do. Um, UConn is a very interesting team with a lot of veteran talent and a legit NBA future player in James Booknight. So I, I think that they can definitely hang around, but Gonzaga is just a, a load, man. I mean, you have to have some like special things about your team, like super special like in multiple areas to really just hang with that team. Um, so I think Gonzaga goes to the national title, and then I think Illinois rolls to the, the national title of Purdue. I just think they're playing the best basketball in the country right now. And with that said... I'm going to take Illinois to win the national title. I, I, it pains me to say that it truly pains me because their fans annoy me, 
but I'm sorry. They just drive me nuts. I can't stand them. But uh, I'm going to take Illinois to, to win the national title. I think they're playing the best basketball there is. Um, they have Kofi Coburn, who I think, wow. I mean, what a beast. There's, there's, you know, Luka Guards is a great big. Kofi Coburn is in that tier with him. You know, it's not like Luka Guards is a tier by himself in college basketball for bigs. I think Kofi and him are sharing that space. And then with Io Desumu, one of the clutchest dudes you can find is at a guard spot. I mean, he's made so many shots this year, and he's so quick and agile and good with a step back. I think he can make a big-time shot at the end of a buzzer at any point during this, this entire tournament. And then they have guys who are beneficiaries of that. You know, Trent Frazier and Miller and... And Curbelo kind of does his own thing, too. He kind of is a baller himself. I mean, it's annoying. And he's a freshman who's going to be annoying for probably a couple, at least a couple more years. Um, but, man, he, he's so feisty. I, I know that that's a weird adjective, but he's quick. He's like he gets in your chest. He pickpockets you. Um He's he's a guy who can drive the lane and then just do some ridiculous wizardry with the ball and just it ends up in Kofi's hands with a one on one matchup with like a guy very small compared to him. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that Illinois finds a way just to edge one out. But, man, I, I would love to see an Illinois Gonzaga game like right now. Like, don't make me wait, <laughs> like make it happen, like make it like official and not have an effect the tournament. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'll go. That's my two teams in the national title. I, I said before, Illinois was the team I picked before the season um, to win it. And during the season, Gonzaga has looked as good as anybody has, in my opinion, the most well-rounded roster in college basketball. So I'm going to go against you here. I, I'm taking the Zags, um, but I'm with you. Sign me up for this right now. I want a seven-game series, please. <laughs> um, but I want to see Io and Jalen Suggs go at it. You know, I want to see, I, I want to see how how Illinois tries to defend Kispert, how defend the way uh, Gonzaga is going to play, and with their you know bigs that can step out, and with their with their movement, and how does a team like Illinois, who's so good defensively, and you mentioned Corbello, like that's the guy as a coach you want running your team he plays with an edge he gets other guys involved he gets open shots for everybody else and Io just his ability to create hit the big shot make the big play on defense you know pick a pocket go get a dunk go get his team going and and Kofi is a a unicorn in college basketball right now somebody with that type of size my worry with him so you look kind of histor- historically when Iowa's played him and even this last game he was great but he got he had four fouls and I do worry in NCAA tournament, you know, one, does he get in foul trouble? But the other thing with him that would worry me a little bit for Illinois is he can only go about five, six minutes at a time and he's gassed. And I do worry about that. So all of a sudden, you know, when Ohio State made their kind of a run to come back, it's and when Iowa made their little run too, it's when he's on the bench, whether it's with foul trouble or, or he just got to sit out because he's gassed. Um, he plays hard. It's not a thing where he's, I think he's out of shape. He's a big guy. He plays really hard. He's super physical. But against Gonzaga, I worry about him either getting into foul trouble or just not being able to play as much. And when when Illinois has to go to the bench off in the post against really good teams, it is a huge drop-off. They're really good on the perimeter and on the wing, but they do struggle when they go to the bench in the post. And, and that's where I think Gonzaga maybe goes on one of those spurts, you know, an 11-2 run or something like that. Uh, but that's a game where, in my opinion, those have been the two best teams. Um, you know, Illinois struggled for a stretch, but it's the two teams with as much talent. They're really well coached. They play offense. They play defense. Um, I'm going to go Gonzaga, but, man, I just want to see that game. Dude, I, I don't even blame you. I think that it could, it's going to come down to one of those things, and we talked about it before the podcast – or basketball is just so like in the margins of, you know, it could be a four point win for one team or a four point win for the other team in the same game. And it just takes like one possession to turn it. You know what I mean? So I, I could definitely see, um, 
Gonzaga winning that potential matchup. And like you said, I would love to see a best of seven. Make it a best of seven. Like, just play, like, outside of the season where, you know, it doesn't affect Iowa's chances of winning the tournament or something. <laughs> I mean, the NCAA has got to be looking ways to gain revenue back after missing last year's tournament. Like, first of all, I'm just so glad that we have a tournament. Hey, you want to you want to know a way to make some extra money? Hey, we're going best of seven here. Um, <laughs> you know, especially if those two teams make it. But but I I said earlier that the tournament's the field is so good this year. Like, we're going to see such good teams in that final four. And I'm really hoping, you know, we get to see some of those premier teams play each other because we're going to get to see some awesome basketball and yeah. Hey, here's a way to make a couple extra, you know, 10, 20, $30 million for the NCAA tournament. Best of seven, you know, you're already in the bubble. What's another two weeks, you know, you're packing for a month, you know, two more weeks, you can go out. Uh, Nike will send some things in for them. Like, let's go. Oh yeah, this is this is a great time of the year. You know, it's starting to warm up outside, even though there's snow on the ground right now. Um, <laughs> usually, it's starting to warm up outside, and you know, this is this is a fun, atmospheric kind of like event. You know, a sporting event, and we all love sports if we're listening to this podcast. Hopefully, um, but yeah, it starts this Thursday uh, with the play-in games. Um, you got Michigan State. You got Drake, Wichita State, UCLA, and then some 16s that, I don't know, I'll probably watch them anyway, but I, I won't really care because they're, they're, they're playing basically to get slaughtered by either Gonzaga or um, what's the other team that they're playing for? Uh, Michigan. So I <laughs> maybe Michigan becomes the next Virginia. I doubt it, but um, regardless, it, it's going to be a fun tournament. And we want to thank you all for continuing to check out uh, this podcast. Um, you know, keep leaving some love in the comments, um, sharing on Facebook and Twitter and uh, retweeting, liking. If you reach out to either me or Thad uh, via DM on Twitter, we definitely respond. We will respond to, you know, any suggestions you guys might have or any podcast themed ideas. You know, we're we're looking for really anything to talk about and just exciting things we don't want to just keep venting to you guys all the time um without really any direction even though that's a lot of the fun that we have on here to be honest with you but um yeah uh with that said we will see you all in a future podcast take it easy